In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Welcome back to another week in the Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical solutions to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And especially in our modern world of today, we rely very much on some of the unchanging pillars of our world. And the traditional Latin Mass has sustained the faith for about 1,500 years and even earlier as it developed. So with the recent declaration by Pope Francis in the Mudo Proprio, I really would like to go into further detail. We touched upon it with Father John Rizzo uh, about two weeks ago. We spoke about it. We went into detail about the initial uh, response from the Catholic world. And now we're going to further detail with Director of Mass of the Ages, Cameron O'Hearn. Welcome aboard to the Catholic Toolbox. Thank you. It's so uh, exciting to be here. Excited to talk about Mass of the Ages, Traditionis Custodis, just anything. This is really exciting. Thank you very much. It's such a pleasure to have you on. I really enjoyed, you know, so that, that intro video on YouTube, which is absolutely amazing. I mean, if you watch it, it was just, it was so beautiful. It actually brought tears to my eyes and, uh, and my wife, especially when we watched the intro about tradition and just, you know, seeing, you know, the, old, the altar boys, the altar girls there and just the mass of the ages. It really, I felt, touched us. And, and you know, I really think it's getting some serious traction in the world. Now, maybe I hope the Holy Father gets a chance to actually watch it himself. Yeah, when we started making this film a couple of years ago, we had no idea this film would be coming out at such a time as this, right after a moto proprio is being released. And uh, so God really knew. That way. It really got timed with the moto proprio. Isn't that amazing? Like, uh, who'd have thunk? We announced our release date, which is August 15th, um, a month or two ago. I had no it's idea. Right. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and wow. this the Latin Mass is such a treasure to all of us. Um, I was in tears making that short video you saw, uh, namely because that was my oldest daughter receiving her first Holy Communion um, at the altar rail. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. And look, it really shocked the world because I'm, I've only been married for five weeks and, and uh, my wife and I really feel close to the extraordinary form. Because we actually got married in the extraordinary form. Uh, we had a pontifical high mass by Bishop Richard Umbers, auxiliary of the Archdiocese of Sydney. And amidst the lockdown, that was the actual day of the lockdown here in Sydney. And what's actually really amazing, what also worried us that week is because there was talk about a restriction to Latin mass. So could this affect the wedding as well? So that's where really it hit close to heart with us. But also the fact that we had come back to the Catholic faith and we experienced Latin Mass and it helped us grow in our Lex Credendi and our Lex Vivendi, you know, how we practice the faith, how we pray the faith and how we express the theology of the church in the extraordinary form. But before we get into further detail, I just want to allow people to sort of take a step back and understand who you are, what you do, how you actually came to found Mass of the Ages and what does Mass of the Ages actually do? Is it a movie? Is it a series? Because I sort of had that confusion at the beginning, but now, you know, I sort of understand, you know, before the show, right before we went live, I just want to understand what is Mass of the Ages. So give us a bit of a run. 
Will do. I'm a documentary filmmaker, director, writer, editor. So I'm a filmmaker. And Mass of the Ages is a documentary trilogy. So you can think like uh, three films, three consecutive films that introduce people to the Latin Mass, that talk about the creation of the new Mass, and to show that the Latin Mass is here to stay. And so uh, originally we were just doing one film. So last year we did a Kickstarter and we were doing one film on the, the Mass of the Ages, the Latin Mass. But we soon realized after we traveled around the United States to many locations, getting a lot of interviews, getting a lot of beautiful footage, was we had um, an, abundant, an overabundance of beautiful <laughs> interviews and footage and all that. And so we decided to break it up into three films. And it just started to fit in well with, I think, how the Lord wants to bring the Catholic Church to the Latin Mass and wants to continue to grow the movement. Because there's a lot of faithful Catholics who attend the Novus Ordo, uh, the New Mass, um, who think that the Latin Mass is just the same Mass except in Latin, that yeah. it's 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 like a carbon copy. <laughs> and it's so funny. Like, um, if you don't study it, I can see how people would, would think that. And so there, there's a lot of differences between both Masses. Um, we go into that in episode two. And uh, a lot of people also think that, that that the new Mass just kind of rolled off the shelf at Vatican II that you had Vatican II and then here's the new mass. And so it's, you know, quote unquote, the magisterium, the, the church giving us this new mass. It is a valid mass given authorized by Pope Paul VI, um, certainly. But there was a, a period of about 10 years where after Vatican II, there was a committee who put together the new mass. Um, and there's a lot of twists and turns in that story. And uh, people don't realize that there's actually like this committee that put it together that went far beyond what the Second Vatican Council actually said uh, in the guidelines for the new mass. So there's there's so much to unpack. We're doing it in three films and the first one comes out on August 15th. So the film is really based on how the new, uh, how we had the old mass and how the new mass came to be. So it's really touching on the origins, but putting that into a film, right? That's that's episode two, yeah. So the first the first episode, episode one, we're really focusing on how the Latin Mass is a solid foundation of faith. It's just a beautiful, inspiring introduction to the Latin Mass, and each of these films are st a story first documentary. So it's not just giving you a bunch of facts and history; it's telling a real story about a traditional Catholic. And the first film focuses on. The, the Latin Mass is a solid foundation. So it's it's an introdu introduction to the Latin Mass meant for faithful Catholics who attend Novus Ordo Mass. I mean, traditional Catholics who love the Latin Mass are going to love this film because it's chock See, full of... Interested, uh, Cameron, in the response of non-Catholics as well to the actual film and how they can see Catholicism in a different light because over the past couple of weeks, I've actually had some people reach out to me that aren't practicing the faith or not Catholic, but they're really interested. They're actually devastated alongside. Conversations that I've had over the past couple of weeks. I think we I think we cut out for a second there, but are you asking uh, the response from non-Catholics on the film? Yeah, I missed your question. Yeah, are we back? It reminds, it, yeah, we're back. It reminds me of the Agatha Christie indult um, after the new mass was put into effect. There was a a a multitude of non-Catholics, sometimes even non-Christian artists, writers actors, uh, wealthy people who were um, despairing about the loss of the Latin mass because it's, it's a priceless achievement in the arts. 
it's it's beautiful it's it's been around for millennia and uh if we lose this treasure it's not just a thing that catholics do on sunday it's it's the greatest treasure in human history because it's it's the treasure that surrounds the real presence of jesus in the eucharist and it's the treasure built by the holy ghost (laughs) and so it is a, a beautiful treasure i I don't know particular instances where non-Catholics, non-Christians have mentioned anything about the film. And that could be just because we haven't released it yet. But I I know that this film, because of everything going on in the church right now, is just going to make a big splash. And you mentioned earlier that hopefully uh, His Holiness Pope Francis will see it. And I think, I think honestly, he will. I think that this will go all the way to the top. Um, because we are challenging the narrative that traditional Catholics are divisive and mean mm. and clicky in and ministry faithful in aid. Look, Cameron, I don't even like personally, I don't actually even use the word traditional Catholics because I think 98%, there was a study done in the United States, 98% of young practicing Catholics or young adults actually report to either attend the Latin mass full-time, part-time, casually, occasionally. So I really don't see it anymore as a traditional thing. Catholicism by its very nature is traditional. Anything is tradition that we pass down, as in the Greek term, paradosis, as St. Paul speaks about. But the way I see it is that <laughs> this is here to stay. This is, I, I predict that the future of the church in the West, majority in the next 10 to 20 years, will consist of the extraordinary form. That's just the way I see it. That's the way I see it because we have such a massive resurgence of Catholics who practice their faith that attend this liturgy. It's not by accident, but it's because if you learn your faith and you recatechize yourself, like I did, like hundreds of people I know, like all of us did, we obviously want to, we want to practice what we preach. So in practicing what we're preaching, in the same, in a moral sense, obviously we don't steal, we don't kill. In a theological sense, we want to go to Sunday Mass and practice what we preach. We want to practice the theology that the Mass is a sacrifice, fulfilling the Old Testament sacrifices, and we want to be immersed in the theology of what we actually believe. We don't want to go to Sunday Mass and immerse ourselves in sometimes a distraction from what the actual reality of the mass is that's the way i see it so i really i i don't see as a traditional catholic thing anymore i really think majority of young catholics and i think the reason is because 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 there's so many young people young people also on social media so that's where there's this sense of angry and there are sometimes some heated debates or anger but that's the way I see it. What are your thoughts, Cameron? Yeah, the um, the caricature of Catholics who attend the Latin Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, as as being mean and divisive, um, even rejecting Vatican II. Those those types of caricatures um, are not true on a large scale, and I found that in my travels all across the country here. Um, it's really, it's the online culture. <laughs> it's, it's on, it's the online audiences that are mean. It's Twitter. That's mean. It's, it's, it's yeah. these platforms that, that generate this kind of divisiveness. But really, if you go to these parishes, what you're finding is parishes that are just doubling, tripling in size since COVID that have seen, you know, maybe other people's parishes got locked down and they started watching the mass on, on live stream. Oh, look at this beautiful mass. That's within a drive for me. I'm going to go check that out. Uh, the restrictions placed on receiving Holy communion. Um, some parishes only allowing you to receive in the hand that moved a lot of people to the Latin mass. It really did. I actually saw it in my parish where they, they didn't allow communion on the tongue and i myself personally i don't receive communion on the hand i don't believe in receiving communion on the hand for the many reasons that uh, saint thomas aquinas speaks about many of the church fathers in the practice 
that the priest is consecrated, has consecrated hands to, uh, to give you communion. But I saw that on a practical level, like churches, Latin mass churches were doubling. You couldn't get a seat anymore. And not to actually mention the fact that when this communion uh, rule was imposed, we had about 70, we usually would have 20 people at the Latin mass on Saturdays in the local parish. It went to about 70. I counted twice, you know, it was about 50 to 70 people. So it increased because people knew that they could access it. And that's what sort of exposed them to the extraordinary form. So it's not just in Australia. I'm glad to hear that it's happening elsewhere, you know, in the United States, but let's go into what makes the Latin mass so great, you know, because I remember an old, um, an old nun, she, God bless her soul. I mean, she was a great person, great friend of mine. You know, when we were studying the Latin mass in the extraordinary form in our parish, she said to, looked at me and said, you know, I don't know why you people want to start with this old mass. You know, you never grew up with it. Um, why do you want to go to this old mass? What, what, what attracts you so much to that old mass? You know, and uh, so maybe you can answer that question here now. Yeah. Um, the old mass is not just a mass for old people. <laughs> and when the first... When they gave the first indole out, out um, Pope Paul VI saw that, oh, there's some priests who are old and they they can't learn the new mass. And there were certain individuals like St. Uh, Padre Pio, um, St. Jose Maria Escriva. Uh, now, St. Padre Pio died before the, the new mass was finally authorized, but there was interim missiles and, and Padre Pio wanted to celebrate the old mass. St. Jose Maria Escriva wanted to celebrate the old mass. Oh, and uh, the, they thought, and the church thought, the popes thought that you just, okay, this is for old people who can't learn the new mass. We'll just let them have an indult so they can celebrate the, the old mass. And then eventually it'll, you know, everyone will be flocking to this new mass. Everyone will see the genius of it. And what happened was actually the opposite, that the more the door opened, the more that the popes allowed the use of the old mass, the more people flocked to it and young people flocked to it. It's like a treasure that was hidden from us, was buried from us, and, and now we get to see it. And I think it comes down to what you said earlier about we want our, our lex credendi to match our lex vivendi, the way we live. Now, for those who don't know, lex, lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi, the three, it's very interesting. So if this is a Latin phrase, which means lex orandi, uh, how we pray. Uh, so there you go. There you go. There's the cup there. Lex orandi, lex credendi. I've got to get myself one of those. So lex credendi is what we believe. Lex orandi is how we pray. And lex vivendi is how we live. So how we pray must reflect what we believe what we believe and pray must be then reflected in our actions so that's basically saying to break it down in a nutshell practice what you preach lex orandi lex credendi so if we believe the mass is a representation of the sacrifice on calvary offered to god in an unbloody manner we someone should be able to walk into a church with a notepad and write that down or conclude or infer somehow that this is actually a sacrifice by the prayers, by the words, by the liturgical actions, it should give off that impression. It shouldn't give an impression that it is a meal, a communal gathering, a, a, a lovey-dovey kind of experience. It's supposed to be what the theology, what the dogmatic definition of the Mass is, which is what we believe. Or how we pray should reflect what we believe. And that's right. That's right. And to, to give a more maybe specific example, so, you know, the Mass being a sacrifice, we believe that as Catholics, sometimes that can sound a little too ethereal, like what does that actually mean? But just as a simple example would be, um, what do we believe about the Eucharist? What do, who, who is the Eucharist? And what I found when I found my first Latin Mass, which is about 10 years ago, was I found a fitting home for my devotion to the Eucharist. So you walk into a Latin Mass, and the way the liturgy is oriented towards the Eucharist, um, the the rubrics, the 
you know, almost scrupulous care for the Blessed Sacrament and every single particle of the host, the adoration of Jesus in the Eucharist. All of that showed me that, wow, these priests and the people here, we actually were acting like we believe it. And um, the more I went to the Latin Mass, the more I realized this is Catholicism, Catholic culture on full display. You know, we, we, we know that our culture is hostile against the faith. It's anything but Catholic. And so we want a culture on Sundays that is eminently Catholic. And I think that's clearest. And it, it was clearest to me with, with the Blessed Sacrament. Just like, for example, before and after each time the priest even touches the Blessed Sacrament, he has to genuflect. That's in the rubrics of the old mass. Oh, we're back. Oh, okay. Where, where did I cut off? Uh, sorry, maybe rewind a little bit. Okay. I think the devil's trying to stop us. The devil. Oh, he's, he, he can't stop this. <laughs> Come Holy Spirit. We, we blame, we blame any kind of technical difficulties all on the, all on the uh, Prince of Darkness. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so uh, when I found the Latin mass, I found a fitting home for my belief in the real presence. And that's because at the Latin mass, at the old mass, the rubrics, the, the orientation of the priests, everything points to the fact that we believe that the Eucharist is the king of kings. Okay. We, we adore the Eucharist. And that's we give exactly, worship to the Eucharist. That's exactly how I felt. You know, as a young person, I studied my faith, studied my way back into the church. I studied what the church ta- taught. And I was going to the regular Novus Ordo Mass, done reverently, but there was just something, and I saw the theology of the church with the example of some great priests and the fact that I went to a Novus Ordo parish that actually carried out some of the actual intentions of Vatican II. We had Gregorian chant. We, we oriented ourselves reverently. But when I went to the extraordinary form for the first time, I saw it to a greater level. I think every this is the common denominator with most people when they experience this. And what's really interesting is I'm going to play devil's advocate for a little bit. Okay, I think we've lost George again. Um, it might be his connection. So in the meantime... Maybe, uh, maybe you should interview me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should. In the meantime, our listeners, of course, we want to welcome you wherever you may be listening to us. You're listening to the Voice of Charity, the Voice of Love, um, up until we get George back. And I think he is back. Yeah. <laughs> um, we just like to remind you all that we are functioning and working um, from home at the moment. So I'm working from home. So please forgive us about the technical difficulties. Um, and we're going to try it again. Welcome back, George. I'm back. Hi, George. How are you? Said, so you said you're going to play devil's advocate. All right, so I'm going to play devil's advocate, then the devil struck. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, let's flood him back. Okay, so what you're saying could be experienced at an Novus Auto Parish. You know, what I'm saying is we want reverence, Latin, uh, Gregorian chant. We can have all that in the Novus Auto. But what I noticed last Sunday, even further when I reflected on it, and even before, is that when you really open the missal, and I was watching the extraordinary film because obviously we're in lockdown at the moment here in Sydney, Australia, is that you notice that there's so many prayers for every action in the Latin mass, the priest's blessing, the priest's offering, you know, the gift of bread and wine. Every action has so much prayer and you have to keep up with it. But it explains a theology that's much not in a condescending way, but much deeper than the 1969 missile. It's just something that we notice. We pick up by observation and through prayer. Would you not think that? Well, George, you're not a very good devil's advocate because I can see that you love the Latin mass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Once you, so what people might say is, well, what about a reverent, Novus Ordo that, that follows Vatican II. I think that would solve so much heartache if Novus Ordos all across the world were 
facing east towards the altar, towards God, were sung Gregorian chant, which is the chant authorized by the church for the past 16, 1500 years, um, were, were celebrated in Latin, especially in silence. So you have the mystery, uh, you have the transcendence. If that was done, we would, we would solve so much heartache. Here, here's the point. <laughs> We've had the pontificate of Benedict the 16th. We, and we still, when you go to most Novus Ordo parishes all across the world, this isn't done. So what are we waiting for? What kind of what kind of permission are we waiting for? Isn't that the whole point of ritual? That when we actually codify a liturgy, you're supposed to codify because I'm a great liturgical enthusiast and master of ceremonies um, in in both rites. I understand that you know the rubrics is very important from observation, and it's important that when we codify a missal, that the rubrics needs to be codified with it because what we're governing is not a church in a local area or a few parishes that we know might do a good job. We are governing a universal church using a right. And it's important, just like with government, just like with anything, we standardize things properly so that we can basically give it its quality assurance that, you know, Yeah, I can um I'm not, I might be cutting out or George might be cutting out, but I will, I'll just say that there's a lot of rubrics in the Novus Ordo Missae that yep. uh, there's a lot of rubrics in the Novus Ordo Missae that the, the new mass that allow for the priest to um, experiment. So there's, it'll say, you know, say this or in similar words. And what we have is, and Benedict XVI lamented this, is there's because of all the options in the new Mass, uh, there's this sense that the priest needs to make the Mass kind of uh, based on his personality. So it, it changes with the parish you go to, the priest who's celebrating the Mass. We have this widespread diversity that's not supposed to be a part of a rite you're correct. It's supposed to be that is clear. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. What's actually interesting is that even though these reforms have been made, sure, we, we need to be more authentic to what the council fathers actually intended. But objectively, there is still more theology manifested in the 1962 missile. And this is why I believe so, Cameron, and I'm sure you agree with me, is because this has been something that's been created slowly, organically over 1,500 years with, through the ex wisdom and experience and prayer and spirituality of 1,500 years of generations of popes, saints, people who slowly may have made modifications. And as we developed in our doctrine, likewise, lex orandi, lex credendi, we grew in dogmatic understanding. Likewise, we grew in... in our ritualistic expression of what we believe. That compared to how quickly we produced the Novus Ordo Mass mm. we, we, was just, it, it was in a sense like a lightning bolt. We sort of, we got a committee together, a few Paredes, six Paredes with Anubal Bonini, and, and they sort of created the missile, which it's still the Mass. We don't deny any validity. I mean, uh, there are many liturgies of the church, it's still the Mass, but just the manner in which it was created was very, in a sense, would you say synthetic compared to the normal way that liturgy is normally modified over the time frame? And, you know, some modifications are made slowly over time. That's what we used to see in Cameron, right? Yes. Uh, in Klaus Gamber's book, um, I, I, the title's uh, slipping my mind, but maybe your producer could look it up. Uh, there was an an intro to the book written by then Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI. Yeah. And in Klaus Gamber's book, he's, he's talking about the actual differences between the missiles, uh, the, the two missiles. So he's not talking about balloon masses and clown masses and all this crazy stuff we can all agree is, is disastrous. He's talking about the creation of, of this, this new missile. 
And what's interesting is that Cardinal Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict XVI, called the what happened after the council as a fabrication. He uses the word fabrication. Because, word. yeah, it is, when you look in, into what actually happened, you're exactly right. It, Ten years of time is not long enough to create a right, to write a right. And uh, Martin Mosebach, another, another be, great. You, you can sort of make it, but it's not going, you can make anything you want. You can codify a right, you can create it in, in an hour if you want, as long as it has the theological elements of what we believe. But is it going to be, in a, is it going to contain as much accidental grace or theology that will condition our spiritual life compared to 1500 years of a right developing organically? What do you think, Cameron? Yeah, Martin Mosebach, who's another great liturgical author, said that tradition is invisible to contemporaries, which means you don't, you don't sit in your chair and write tradition. Tradition is something you receive, and it, it's only in retrospect that you see something that is, um, to use a word of, I think it was um, uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider, who said that uh, tradition is, in the Latin mass, is time-honored, that over time it becomes more and more itself and more and more substantial. And the, the qu fundamental question is, what do we believe about rubrics, about the way we should celebrate mass? Is it a creation of man or is it inspired in some sense by the Holy Spirit? If it's the creation of man, then um, Luther was correct. That we just need to, Martin Luther uh, was correct. That we just need to strip away all this man-made, you know, all these man-made elements that obscured the, the central core, which is in his mind, the Last Supper. And we just get back to the Last Supper. Or you believe that that the rubrics is how the Holy Ghost reveals over time, this is how you are to worship the Father. And I think it's more the latter. I think the church has, has made it clear that the Holy Ghost has guided the church and that tradition and the mass becomes more itself over time. We shouldn't expect every 1,000 years there to be a drastic changed the liturgy that it would would be unrecognizable you know a thousand years ago or a thousand years from now it it should have a substance to it it should be more and more itself over time with with less and less significant change so it's not really about hey we don't want to change anything or or reform right. certain things we believe in reform but what we're opposed to is how drastically it changed and without any good theological reason Again, Lex Orandi, Lex Credin, that's our operational standard that we operate in, by in the church. We, we, we yeah, if you have a big tree in your backyard that yeah. your forefather planted, that's been around for 1,500 years, it's a beautiful tree, and that beautiful tree provides fruit for your family, it's, it's lovely, but it also is, yeah, okay, it's getting a little bit uh, unkept, and it's getting a little bit you know, in the way. We need it trimmed, you know, oh, it's getting into the telephone wires or something. Um, and you call someone out to tr trim this tree and they proceed to hack away most of the tree, like significant parts of the trunk and huge branches. Well, that, that affects the integrity of the tree. And so we're not against pruning and trimming uh, organic development, but I think what a lot of people who bemoan the implementation of Vatican II would say is that it was a drastic um, a drastic cut that to the heart of the tree, to the heart of tradition, to sever away things that have been around for hundreds and even thousands of years. Without, I like to add, without good theological reason. Again, mm -hmm. we don't operate, when we make decisions in the church, even pastoral decisions, we have to recall what is the theological uh, reasoning behind our decision we have a purpose which is the salvation of souls how does every decision every move that we make in the church affect that goal which we're all oriented towards so i mean i think it's pretty clear we really 
touched upon that. And now I want to go into before, before actually after the break, we're running out of time here. So we'll have to go on our, we're actually going to go into further detail about Mass of the Ages and the actual trilogy series that you've produced here. And we're going to go into further detail about Traditionis Custodis that Pope Francis has issued. So stay tuned here. We'll be back shortly. My name is Father Damon Seifer. I'm a member of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, which is the Latin Mass Order. Our order has been ministering to the faithful in Western Sydney uh, for about 20 years now. But we think it's time for us to find our own place, to be able to build our own church. So we're really encouraging people to make donations, perhaps even dedicated to monthly donations, so that we can forge to take on perhaps a mortgage for this great endeavor. So we would like to, in the long term, build a traditional church for the celebration of the traditional liturgy in the Latin Rite. We would encourage you to think about this, to pray about this, and see if God is calling you to commit to helping us with this great endeavor to build a new church for Western Sydney. everything going on in the church right now is just going to make a big splat ever to build a new church for western sydney with everything going on in the church right now is just going to make a big We just want to see how Traditionis Custodis kind of plays out. We, so we want to give it some time. We want to deal with that uh, in film three. Mm -hmm. And what does the future of the Latin Mass look like? What are some parishes across the world? How are some parishes across the world dealing with this? Maybe we can get out to Australia and see how it, how it is out there. Um, so film three will come out next, next year. So first film, August 15th, join us for the live premiere, second film before the end of the year. And the last thing I want to say about that is that when film number two is out, the only way you can see it yeah. is 
as in theaters. And what we mean by that is we're hosting. So we're going to start with live uh, theater screenings all across the United States uh, where people can license the film and then rent out a theater and show the film. And uh, that can happen anywhere across the world. So in Australia, people can, when film number two is out, they can license the film and then show episodes one and two optimized for the theater, for the big screen, for the big sound systems. They can show films one and two and watch a double feature of Mass of the Ages and invite friends and family, priests. We expect bishops to be in attendance at some of these so that so that this can be the beginning of this can be a catalyst now we've had a lot of catalysts we've had uh covid uh we had the uh restrictions on receiving communion uh we've had traditionus custodis there's been a lot of catalysts that have led to people finding the latin mass we think mass of the ages trilogy is going to be another catalyst and our goal is for millions of catholics to uh so our goal is for millions of Catholics to discover the Latin mass for the first time and for thousands of priests to begin to celebrate the Latin mass. I mean, it's it just absolutely amazing to really think of the effect it's going to have. I really think a, a movie, a trilogy like that will circulate around the world is actually going to really help the propagation of the traditional Latin mass movement. And it's really interesting, and we're going to really go into it now. So uh, I'll jump in here um, and just say that there, there's a there's a quick story in in church. Just church history now is traditionus custodus and what the holy father has george you kind of cut out for a second there proprio. it really came as a shock to many people but yeah are we back yeah we're, we're back. back i can hear you now you're good go ahead yeah we're back can you hear me yep uh this will take off this a, a video like this i mean a trilogy circulating around the world will do a lot of justice will do serious justice to really spreading the message and really getting it out there. Already Traditionis Custodis has brought so much attention to the traditional Latin mass that I've, I've received calls myself from people who are actually interested and want to go and, and see what all the fuss is about. I mean, I really think it's all about seeing what the fuss is about mm. <laughs> of this whole thing that, you know, everyone getting angry, everyone getting upset about, you know, what the Holy Father's put and the restrictions he's placed upon the Latin mass, but I really think there's a lot of interest now that's coming out of this. I don't foresee that people like us who do attend the extraordinary form are going to stop going. We're not going to stop going. The only effect that it's going to have is that more people will actually find out about it and come because, because we, we, we are already regular attendees and we understand what the mass stands for. And, and really it came as a shock to the, the whole world that it would be to this. Yeah, I think we, we anticipated a little bit more restriction here and there, but we never saw a full blow like this coming. So I really think moving forward that initiatives like your trilogy, initiatives like even just us on the ground in our local community, just calling people up and inviting them to mass and saying, would you like to come? Would you like to experience it? Will really help to, to, to bring people to know and love the, the traditional liturgy. Yeah, you have to... You have to think that His Holiness Pope Francis must have had, you know, the people surrounding him at the Vatican probably just have caricatures about who the Latin Mass people are because these these statements in the Moda Proprio are just not very accurate. That this this it's not it's something that's not going to go away easily, and it's not because of anger or rejection of Vatican II or any of this, it's because of love. It's because of love for the traditional mass. It's because our culture is so hostile to the Catholic faith. It's so anti-Catholic that the, the, the Latin mass is just Catholic culture. It's just, we want Catholic culture for our family. So we love it too much to let it die. So that that's the reality all across the world. We just love the Latin mass. It's not 
it's not about hate. It's not about rejection. It's about saying yes to something so beautiful. Absolutely. Look, I really, when I first, uh, I think I was at a friend's house when, when the news came out uh, of Traditionis Custodis. And I mean, I just read it. I, I never, I never recognized Pope Francis with such language of the motto proprio. It was as if, you know, reading uh, Laudatio Si and, uh, and, mm. and all his other writings. I mean, it was, it just came as a shock, you know, you know, so many people could be treated with mercy. The German bishops currently, I don't know where we're at with them. I don't know, maybe that's mercy as well. That there's so much mercy towards, you know, the uh, American politicians receiving Holy Communion in the state of mortal sin. But where is the mercy for traditional Catholics? In the, famous, in the great words of um, Raymond Arroyo from EWTN, he conducted a great interview with with a canon lawyer and spoke about where, where is this balance of mercy that we've been hearing about? You know, is it, is it, could it be a double standard? Could it be, could it be just a mercy only for those who fit an agenda? Is it, where is the actual mercy? I mean, I think, I mean, really when we read it, we don't really understand what he's talking about in terms of division and being divisive. I've never encountered any kind of division to that extent. Sure, there's angry people on Instagram, there's angry people on Facebook, but there's equally just as amount of angry, divisive people at the Novus Auto Parish that I've spoken to. It's not a it's not a problem where there's this division or rejection of Vatican II. We've never seen it. If anything, I met with um, a senior uh, priest who makes the some of these decisions in my in my. Um, uh, in my diocese and what's actually interesting is that you know, he never saw any problem at all you know he never saw any division he said it's not a problem for us in Australia it's really for you Americans <laughs> the problem comes from all you Americans yep I, I agree <laughs> I yeah. everything for everything. <laughs> when I read the motu proprio I was I was um, hurt and confused I felt like my father was disciplining me for something I didn't do. And um, yeah, I just uh, hurt and confused. And I, I, I think our hope is, is knowing that you can't, you can't destroy tradition, that no matter what twists and turns we're about to take in the next few years, restrictions on the Latin mass, if there's even changes to, to the missile from like uh, from Pope Francis, no matter what twists and turns and pains there are, that you you can't kill tradition. Ultimately, it will it will come back. You can't squash what God has built. You can't do it. And so, eventually, uh, through hurt and heartache and pain, uh, we're gonna get back to tradition and a restoration of tradition and beauty and transcendence and where the Catholic church is the greatest force for good in the world again. And the, the road leads to the kingdom of heaven. We have to remember that this is not about a worldly, you know, machinations down here below where we're trying to just live our lives free from pain and discomfort. And yes, we love the Latin mass, but um, it's a means to the King of Kings. And there will be a day where we will be a part of the heavenly liturgy, which is perfect. It has no, no human fingerprints on it. It's, it's made by, by God, and it's perfect and unending and unshakable. And that's, that's where our hope ultimately leads. So no matter what happens here, just stay in the church. Stay in the church. This is the road to salvation. So you stay in the church and you suffer well. That's my encouragement to, to your listeners. Look, Michael, look I, I, I'm a bit of an optimist sometimes in the way I see things. I, th I don't foresee that there would be any more drastic change. I think this is a bit of a blow enough. And I think it's actually backfiring on the officials in the Holy See that, you know, they're seeing that, you know, the more you restrict it, the more it's growing. You know, it's, it's, it's not that we're, we're rebelling, we're asking for something bad. This is the liturgy of most of the saints. This is the liturgy which 
most of the popes and most of the church practice in the West. And so it's it's not a big ask, I think. So I will I, I probably foresee a mass resurgence in the next few years because when something is persecuted, just like the early church, I parallel this. When there's persecution or something is threatened, it springs out more to life. It, it, it grows more because people uh, people under under pressure. This is how I describe it. Uh, coal is turned uh, into diamond under pressure. And under pressure and persecution, I think we will come out of this. Uh, and really, I mean, it, it, the implications now that it has uh, that the, the Ecclesia Dei communities and the orders, part of Ecclesia Dei previously, and now moved under the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, that possibly is uh, very much of a danger that, that they could not be the most competent body to make rulings on the extraordinary form. Whereas Cardinal Ratzinger at the time placed Ecclesia Dei under the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith by people who could study the extraordinary form and make even liturgical decisions at this point in time about it by, by possibly a more qualified body. We don't know, maybe that body could be shifted, but I think we stay on course. I, I really, I think we have to have hope that we stay on course it, it, it's not the worst thing in the world. We have to make do with um, with what we have. But how generous Cameron have bishops been in granting uh, the continuation of the celebration of the extraordinary form? There is a website my one of my producers sent to me called traditionuscustodis.info. And uh, so if you look that up, traditionuscustodis, uh, T-R-A-D-I-T-O-N, T-I-O-N, tradition. So tradition is C-U-S-T-O-D-E-S dot info. Okay, tradition is custodis dot info. You'll see um, an updated list. I don't know who put this together, but it's really helpful. It shows the bishop's actions across the world in dioceses. And if they've suppressed the Latin mass entirely, if there has been some suppression. So for example, like, okay, no more personal Latin mass parishes. We're going to just have one parish in this diocese that does the Latin mass. That would be some suppression. And then you can also see the dioceses where there's been no suppression. And what you're shocked to find is that out of the 165 dioceses listed so far, 135 of them have no suppression listed. So it seems like the bishops across the world are seeing the fruits from the Latin mass. They realize that, well, these are the communities that uh, actually give the most money to our appeals <laughs> that break, break the numbers. And, and uh, also these are the yeah, communities that are actually going. <laughs> this yes. is where youth are, who also happen to be on Facebook and some of them might get angry and put up a, a meme or, <laughs> I really do think, I mean, I really want to go back to what you said before that the people in Rome possibly presume that, you know, everybody who attends the traditional liturgy is somewhat angry, rigid, um, you know, we don't laugh, you know, we do, we're not joyful, we're not, you know, all we care about is these bells and smells and, and, and you know, nice vestments and Gregorian chant. That's all our faith is about. I really think that's such a wrong stereotype. I really think that's right. I really think, and I would hope that they could open their minds. And many clerics and people on a local level also assume that that if you attend the extraordinary form, Latin mass, you're you're, you're someone who's you know just wants this uh, great. You, know, you don't really you're not focused on your spiritual life and all the mercy of God. It's really all about you know the Latin, the that you you like more of the cultural stuff, you know, of the faith. I think that's extremely wrong. I think they have this view that we're all about this and this is what's motivating us, you know, to carry on with it. Or that that's my assumption. Or the other assumption is that their their intentions are bad, possibly. That that's the conclusion I come to. Like sure there are people who are divisive and and might criticize, you know, the Second Vatican Council, but we can't have control over every single person that has a view <laughs> or opinion. The vast majority of people who go to Latin Mass 
circles or attend Latin mass, they also attend the Novus Ordo. I myself, I go to the Novus Ordo during the week, but on the weekends, I attend the Latin mass. So it, it, a lot of people go to both. You know, it's not like there is this division. I, I really, myself and so many others that I've spoken to, clerics in the United States, in the Holy See, they don't see where this is really coming from. You know, is this a bias or is this an agenda? We're wondering in that direction because they're, they're sure there are divisive people, but I've met just as more, much divisive people outside the Novus Auto Parish who believe Pope Francis isn't the real Pope, 666, he's the Black Pope, you know, where, where yeah, and they just kept walked out of a Novus Auto Parish, which left me thinking, you know, this is, uh, there, there is an attitude like this that exists, but I really think the solution forward wasn't to suppress the traditional art mass. I really don't. I think maybe address that attitude could have been a good solution in Traditionis Custodis. I like the point where Pope Francis actually asked that, you know, the bishop to make sure that some of these communities don't have this mindset, a good thing, a positive thing that came out of it. But I think the vast majority of it was probably misinformed. And I'm sure you'll agree with me. Yeah, it seems like the foundational problem uh, from Pope Francis would be this anti-Catholic mentality that you can pick and choose which councils you agree with and then start your own churches and this division he 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 saw or was told about and um like you said that's not that's not caused by the latin mass and there might be a correlation where if people are rigid and already angry maybe the latin mass is a little safer for their mean personality but it's not caused by the latin mass if you go to if you actually go and if any bishops are listening if you actually dialogue with you know have a relationship with your with your flock and actually talk with people who attend the traditional latin mass you will see that the vast majority of us are people who just lo who love the church we go to the institute of christ the king or the fraternity of saint peter these traditional latin mass communities because we want to remain under the pope in the church and we love the church you know uh th that's that's the that's the reality if, if you want to define who a true catholic is you look at what we believe about doctrine and people who attend the latin mass they believe in the real presence they believe in the pope th that the pope is valid they they think vatican ii is valid even they just they just want they don't want to attend their Novus Ordo Parish, probably because it, it needs to be corrected. I wish Traditionus Custodis was was co correcting this this vast diversity you see in, in Novus Ordo Parishes that, that just go off the rails, because that's, that's offending and affecting the faith, and ultimately people's beliefs about the faith. Look, I want to add to your division that you're creating in the church, <laughs> and say this, that Will there be a motto proprio issued about the, the 1969 missile? Like, sure, of course, if you want to take this action to the right here, in, 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 towards the traditional Latin mass, I hope and I wait for Pope Francis to equally and fairly look at the, the abuses, some of the abuses that, and the division, and, and sometimes even the outright uh, blasphemy and abomination that's come out of abuses. Mm that haven't been regulated enough, perhaps in the Novus Auto liturgy. Like for instance, if you wanted to think with equal mindset, okay, there have been a divisive people, priests, possibly different parts, maybe of the States. <laughs> That's where it's all from America. Um, but equally, haven't there been a lot of abuses to, towards the liturgy, clown masses, uh, divisive people on the left that we should also address. So I don't know, maybe he might issue a motto proprio regarding the Novus Auto and correcting a few things or maybe amending a few things. But if he doesn't, I don't, I don't know what kind of an impression we might get or what this might say to us. You know, when we're asking in all sincerity and obedience what these things actually mean. And, and, and I, don't, I don't see a balanced approach in terms of this. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that the traditional ad mass is a source of unity. No matter where you go in the world, you find the same mass. And there's comfort to that. When I was in France, I only had access to a Novus Ordo parish. And it was off-putting because they were in, speaking in French. And there was things they did. I didn't know what they were doing because it was in French. <laughs> but if you go to a Latin mass parish in France or in Australia or wherever, it's, it's home everywhere is home. And if, if Pope Francis wants to promote unity, it's not about trying to squash this unified right of the church. It's about correcting misguided priests and perhaps bishops who are allowing these abuses and irregularities to, to creep into the liturgy that's, that's really become endemic wherever you go. It's you, you can have two very different liturgies just across the street from each other. That is a source of disunity. When, when you have all these options in the rubrics and when priests take liberties with the mass that, that, that really offend the piety of young Catholics. And f- to be honest, that's why I attend the Latin mass. That's probably the, the deepest emotional reason I attend the Latin mass is I don't want to offend the piety of my, you know, my oldest daughter who just received her first Holy Communion. I don't want to go to a mass where that's not abundantly clear that this is Jesus himself, that we actually believe this is God. It's, it's about my children. It's about our children. We want to attend a mass that has our beliefs uh, acted out. That's simply, simply what it is. And we, we find a great source of unity all around the world in the traditional Latin mass. There's unity in the church. Okay, and uh, now uh, the time's coming to a close. So can you leave us with three practical tips about how we can actually invite people to Latin Mass in our local community and get the word out there as well on a local level? Yeah, local level. So um, tip number one, <laughs> invite someone. It's not weird to invite someone to, to Mass. Um, I think I think we should do that regularly if there's someone who's, a fallen away Catholic, you know, hey, come check out this weird thing I do <laughs> called Mass. Come experience this, this rich, um, otherworldly thing. It's kind of like the opera. You go and you just like take it in. It's really cool. Come, come to the Mass with me. Um, say hi to people who you don't recognize at your, at your Mass. Uh, yeah, just, just smile. So smile and say hi. We're not talking about during the mass, like turn around and start chatting, but hey, you're in the back with your kid. You see someone you haven't seen before. Just smile at them and say hi. Uh, third, let, let's just realize we're all on the same team. So sometimes there can be um, different factions within traditional Latin mass, you know, speakers and, and influencers. We're all on the same team. So let's, let's work together. Let's, let's share what each other is working on. Let's promote good things in the church. And I hope Mass of the Ages can just be promoted in that sense and can bring the church closer and closer together. And I, people, I think it will. Yeah. How can people access Mass of the Ages? For those interested and ready and on standby, ready to watch it, spread it, bring it to other people, how can they do so? Go to theliturgy.org. Theliturgy.org. Click Get Notified. You will get an email when we release the film on the fifteenth of August. Yeah. To watch it live with us, I think Australian time will be about ten a.m. on August sixteenth, actually. <laughs> but uh, it'll be free, available on YouTube after the fact, and then we'll have it on our website as well, so people can watch it and share it, share it there. That's amazing. I mean, that's that, that's absolutely solid advice, and I really praying hope for the future of the church. So thank you for being with me, Cameron, here tonight. I really appreciate your time and I wish you the best of luck for Mass of the Ages. We'll be with you and um, we're going to stay united through this. We're going to get yes. through this. We will. We will. See, see you uh, in the kingdom of heaven if I don't see you before then. <laughs> but yeah, let's, thank you for having me on. You're welcome. So thank you for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox. If you haven't downloaded or subscribed to the podcast, go to The Catholic Toolbox and download the podcast. And don't forget to go to the website on www.thecatholictoolboxshow.com. Make sure you subscribe to our mailing list so we can send you out your podcast every single week and our monthly newsletter that's coming out. 
And don't forget, we, we are now live also on Instagram. So you get behind the scenes live here on Instagram. Big shout out to those on Instagram here. So you can follow us on Instagram at The Catholic Toolbox Show. That is The Catholic Toolbox Show on Instagram. And don't forget also to stay safe during this COVID time. I know we're in lockdown here in Sydney, but use this time to go closer to our Lord and definitely subscribe to some good material here, especially here at The Catholic Toolbox that we have ready for you during this time. So until next week, God bless, take care, take action. I'm George Manasseh from the Catholic Toolbox. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic Toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our model world today. Live on The Voice of Charity.